you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and I'm on board. Mm. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Hello, welcome to She Became Visible. It is November 1st, people. It is November 1st, okay? I don't know where this year has gone. I don't want to do this year over again. It's been a, it, it's been a weird year, but it is almost over. And I know for many for many of you the best part of the year is coming up. I know there are some of you out there that are getting out your Christmas tree, putting your decorations on and flipping that switch on those lights outside your house. I just want you to know that I am in mourning because I had to fold up my t-shirt that said, um, witch and famous. I can't wear that. I have to put away all my witches hats all my, all my, except for on my motorcycle. I don't, I'm still continue to wear my witch stuff on my motorcycle, but really the best holiday of the whole season is gone. And it was a very weird holiday for me because I spent the best day of the entire year at the Diamondbacks World Series baseball game. <laughs> and I know for many of you, that may sound like a wonderful place to be on Halloween, but it isn't because there were a few people that were dressed up. No one was handing out candy. No one was spooky. And it was all about baseball. And so there you go. And they lost. So I should have been at a Halloween party. That's all I have. That's all I have to say. But to make up for that, today I have an amazing guest. And we are going to be talking about some serious stuff and some fun stuff. So my guest today is Annalise Murphy. And I love Annalise Murphy because she looks like a Murphy. I got to check out. I've got to check it out with her. But I'm thinking this girl's from Ireland. Um, you know, she's kind of got the red hair and the Murphy. I'm thinking she's an Irish gal and which would fall right into my whole witch thing. Right. We'll talk about that. I don't know. Maybe she's a fellow witch. I don't know. But we'll find out. But let me tell you what she is. This is what I know she is. She is a um, she is a therapist with many professional uh, professional affiliations. She is a member of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. She is a member of the American Counseling Association. She is a member of the Utah Mental Health Counselors Association. She is a member of the LGBTQ plus Affirmative Therapist Guild of Utah. And I think there's a couple of other associations. So this girl's got some credentials behind her name. And what I really love too is that she has um, some really exclusive um, specialties, groups of people that she works with. And let me tell you what a few of those are. 
and my printer. She has queer affirming specialties. She works with people. She works with disassociative identity disorder. She works with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in adults. So um, her and I are going to be collaborating a little bit on that. She works with obsessive compulsive disorder. She works with former Mormons and questioning Mormons. And she works with ethical non-monogamous couples. That's just a generalized anxiety disorder and social anxiety disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. So this girl's got some stuff under her belt. And But we're going to be specifically talking about religious trauma therapy today. And I know that that idea, I'm sure there are many of you out there, if there are, I don't know who all exactly is listening, but if there are any never Mormons, uh, people of another faith that are listening, you may think, what are you talking about? What are you talking about religious trauma? That's insane. And I have to say that I understand that thought because I was raised Methodist. My, I was 12 years old when my family joined the Mormon church, but I grew up um, in very informative years in a Methodist religion. And my aunts and my uncles, which my mother had seven siblings, they were Methodist, they were Lutheran, they were Catholic, they would bounce from Catholicism to Lutheranism to Methodist to Protestant, and nobody cared. Nobody cared. We all believed in Jesus, right? It was fine. I had a very fundamental aunt who was Baptist. In fact, her and my uncle were my godparents. And the and she loved Jesus, but nobody cared when she came to the family reunions, reunions. None of those religions had anything to do with what we wore to the potluck or to the high school graduation picnic that we had every year in Gephardt Woods in Morris, Illinois. Nobody cared what people drank. Uh, the food was whatever you're bringing. We didn't care. All we knew is we all loved Jesus. That's all that mattered. So for me, leaving the Mormon church was not traumatic because I had some background to fall back on. I knew good people that were not Mormon. But I understand that if you grew up in the church, if you have been indoctrinated, that this is a traumatic. And I'm going to let Annalise talk about that. But let me introduce, have her introduce herself a little bit more, and then we'll get this discussion going. So here we are. Hey, girlfriend. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's so interesting. Halloween's also my favorite. Sawin, you know. Ah, yes. Yeah. yes that's it's a Celtic right. pronunciation. Um, yeah, I actually, I, I think in my past life, I was most likely a Druid. So oh, okay. Specifically right. with, you know, healing and all that. So ah, that would make total sense. So do your, I mean, when you've done your 23andMe and your Ancestry.com, are you going back to uh, the land? Danish, Scandinavian, Irish, and English. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got a little bit of all of that, but mostly like the Northern European countries. So, exactly. yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's so discouraging. We get our 23 back. 100% European. Yep. Like, oh, well, that's exciting. I mean, you know, what it... <laughs> Well, it's funny yeah. you talk, you know, I mean, and, and the reason my ancestors came to America was actually because of the LDS church. They joined back in the like early 
you know, movement when Joseph Smith sent all of the people to Europe to 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 preach. So that's actually how we ended up in America. So otherwise, I might still be in Europe. Who knows? Okay. So were they in England or Scotland when they, they were, were in England when they were found and and came over? But yeah. Okay. But so they came over with the we're going to go to Utah. Did yep. they go across the plains or did they? They did. They, okay. they did. I mean, I've got that pioneer heritage and and all of that. You've it's interesting though. Yeah. It, it's interesting because I personally have been researching who my ancestors were before joining the church. Oh. Right. Because where my roots came from or who I really am like genetically and whatnot, instead of just being a Mormon at that point, like my ancestors before that, how were their lives? What did they do? What did they find interesting? How did they survive? So that's been really helpful in like reclaiming who I am in my process. See, that is fascinating because I think when we get engulfed in this pioneer idea, mm -hmm. first of all, we put them in a um, trek in our mind, a visual trek. So yep. and, and uh, that goes along with the music. So we're singing, they're dancing, their bonnets were white, their clothing was pressed and clean and starched. And they had funeral potatoes from, you know, Missouri <laughs> all the way through. Yeah. And that's how we envision them. Yeah. And when you start doing more history, you read the, you know, uh, especially the British people that came over and they weren't farmers and they weren't pioneers and they weren't survivalists and they had no idea and they were just dying and they were freezing to death. And so it's the, the idea that we go past that. Oh, my great, great, great grandmother was a pioneer and she was so strong. And because of her faith, it's like, well, what was she doing in England right. before she came over that made her the strong woman that she was or whatever your the story is that we yeah, tell. what was she what was she looking for that that made her join the LDS church that she was promised and and did it? turn out well for them or not. I mean, I don't know. I, I have a hard time with the, and, and I know this is a little bit of a stretch, but when, when the, the youth go on there, for those of you that don't know, um, they will do these reenactment, these Trek reenactments uh, for the youth where it's like re re um, imagining what it must've been like for the pioneers crossing the plains yeah. to help build faith or, or whatnot. And I always think, well, the Jews don't get together and re reenact the Holocaust. <laughs> I said those exact words why are we doing this that was not a great experience for them i love that you said that because honestly that's what I, I said can you imagine we're going to take you guys we're going to put you all in this gas fake gas chamber right. we're going to put you all on this train and stand yeah. up and yeah. yeah so that you can yeah we're going to cram you all into the the uh you know tram and just pretend just pretend that you're in a yeah, cattle yeah. car mm -hmm. and just so you can really get that feeling of what it was like you know i i always say too it's like well if we really want to do a trek we've got to get the coffee and the whiskey and all the other stuff right all the things that they actually have they well actually, it's yeah. Yeah, it's it's um it's part of the of the othering that the LDS Church does between its members and the non-members, right? Yeah. So the othering means we're part of a group and and you're not. And because we're part of a group, how we became part of a group is that it was these pioneers and it was these special, we were given the full keys of the kingdom and all of these things. So it really just is another exercise to make, especially impressionable you think 
my ancestors were really strong and amazing and they did this and this is where I come from instead of saying, you know, everyone's ancestors during that time had sacrifices that they were going through or things that they were doing. Um, it doesn't make the experience more or less important. And so it's really just kind of that insidious othering that the church does to try to keep people thinking that they are part of this exclusive club that nobody else can understand. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. you're so right. And I was even so indoctrinated that when I read Devil's Cove and, and they expressed the fact that these weren't the only people on the trail, mm -hmm. there were other pioneers going out Absolutely. there at the same time. And yeah. I remember going, there were? Mm -hmm. Like the only ones on the Oregon Trail after Lewis and Clark. Like, <laughs> there were tons of people. It of was crowded. There yep. were, you know, and the whole 1849 people going to California. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, other people have done this. Mm -hmm. other people have walked and walked and walked and walked, you know, <laughs> to get to California or wherever they were going. But right. honestly, I think you're right. I think Mormons, they think they are the only people that were literally walking across the United States. Right. And right. You know, you're so, yeah, you're so and right. And it's not like they didn't have a hard time, but it doesn't like the fact that they did that is not something to necessarily point out as being like the only reason they got through this was because they had faith in God and because they were members of the LDS church. No, the only why they got through this is because dumb luck and because there were people out there that actually knew what they were doing maybe they were all this maybe they weren't i mean it was like you said it, the mormons weren't the only ones going there and so the yeah. reason they got to where they got wasn't just because they believed in the mormon god and 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 the book of mormon and all of that and so it's just really interesting because that is not what is taught it is you're the way you are because of your ancestors and so if you end up leaving the church um, you can, people can sometimes get the guilt of what, like, like we're, you know, pissing all over the sacrifices of our ancestors yeah. or something, you yeah, know? Exactly. So. Well, okay. So that, that brings us to the point where let's kind of back up a little bit. Yeah. Tell me a little bit of your, since you are so many yeah. generations Mormon, tell mm -hmm. me your journey through the, uh, activity in the Mormon church. Yeah. yeah. So, like I said, both sides, mom and dad's side, both, you know, pioneer stock. Um, they would tell stories of, of different family members. You know, it was this great celebrated thing. Um, and so I grew up here in Utah. Um, I was born in 76. So most of my childhood was like in the 80s when it came to what was going on in that space. And we didn't have access to the kind of information people have access to now, but we would do road shows and we would do, you know, all of these different things. I mean, the whole entire, my whole entire existence growing up was, was surrounding the church. I was beehive president. I was Miami president. I was Laurel president. I actually was relief society president when I left the church. So that was an interesting experience. Ooh, I want to hear that. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was this, you know, most of the people I knew were Mormon. And if they weren't, um, I mean, luckily my mom and dad weren't like, well, you can't play with people that aren't Mormon. Cause I know there's some people out there like that, but it was like, you're, you're allowed to be in that space as kind of a missionary work. Right. So I remember in junior high having a really good friend who was, um, 
just Christian. Um, and she would invite me to her church's stuff and I would invite her to my church's stuff. But, you know, I remember an, ar an argument we got into on the bus where basically I was just like, listen, my church is correct and yours is not. Oh, right. I'm like 13, 14 years yeah. old. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And and I and our friendship was never the same after that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so um, being able to just, you know, say, well, I did the best that I could and I'm going to continue doing all the things I need to do. Um, as I got into high school, um, I, it got a little more apparent to me that um, I must have just been broken or wrong because I just couldn't do all the things that the, that the church was telling me that I was supposed to do. And, and so, um, but I was like, okay, I'm going to marry a, a returned missionary and, and he's going to save me. Right. And um, so and luckily, um, so I'm still married to him. He's left the church, too. Luckily, it went OK. But right. I, you know, and I've talked about it since this is not going to be news to him. But it was like, well, you are really just I mean, he's he's white, cisgender, straight, a bit of an, an introvert. So he didn't get in much trouble, like whatever. And um, he was the vision of okay, this guy, if, if you marry him, he's going to like drag you into the celestial kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get there any other way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we got married and um, we had, we have, ch we have two kids um, that I actually had, had a miscarriage, then two live births, then I've had a uh, miscarriage and then a son die at, at four days. And um, through that whole time, you know, I was, like I said, Relief Society president. I was primary president. I was doing all the things. And I just never felt like I could live up to what it was supposed to be, what I was supposed to do. Um, yeah, right. And so then I remember my oldest, who is now 20, but was in junior high at the time, um, told me she had a, a bad dream. Um and in her words, it was she had dreamed about some other guy in her class and he was naked and she felt such guilt and shame about that. And I said to her, you know, it's just a dream. It, it, it doesn't mean anything. And she's like, I know, but like, well, she didn't say I know. She said, OK, but why am I dreaming that? And I remember at that moment thinking what I should say to her is, well, pray about it. Ask God. I know. Ask God, like, what's going on? Is there, like, something you need to confess? And as I'm having these thoughts, um, luckily, there was enough, like, protection of my child, like, maternal instinct, that I was able to just be like, I'm not going to say that to them. There's um, nothing wrong. She doesn't need to repent of anything. Right. You know? And so that was, like, the first, first time that I was like, wait a minute. I've been praying my whole life to be better, to not be a sinner, to not be this person that it, it can't get it together. Right. Um, and um, it's not really worked. So why would I give a solution to my child that had not worked for me? Um, and then when my son passed away, that was really for us the kind of breaking point of saying what is going on um, because Mormon doctrine was very unclear about where my son was, right? He was only four days old when he passed. And so there were people saying, well, he's your guardian angel. And then there were people saying, well, you're going to raise him in the afterlife. And then there were people saying, you know, he's what, um, but he's not grown up. He, and, and so I was like, so there's a baby just floating around somewhere yeah. um, that I'm supposed to just trust is like, it was so bizarre. And I thought, well, 
if the church is like, don't have your ears pierced more than once, surely they've got to have answers about where the babies go after they die. The only thing I was able to find was in a talk that um, Joseph Smith gave at a funeral from a man named um, King Follett. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of this podcast. There's a podcast called Infants on Thrones. Yes. The quote that is it, that is referring to is that Joseph Smith's someone asked him about what happens to babies when they die. And they said, and he said they would be floating on thrones in heaven with what, with not one cubit of stature added, like added onto them or whatever. And I thought, so my baby's just floating up in heaven somewhere. Like who's taking care of, (laughs) like what's going on in this space? A throne? A throne somewhere? It's so weird. Right. And then I really started saying, okay, let me look into the doctrine even more. And, and then I started listening to Mormon Expressions, which was the podcast that kind of helped me really deconstruct. Um, And, um, and then I went to my husband and said, I don't think it's true. And in, and I don't blame him now and we laugh about it, but in typical, you know, LDS male privilege and just, I would say male privilege in general. He right. said, don't worry about it. I'll find the answers for you. And, and oh, yeah, right? isn't that nice? <laughs> so he started reading all the stuff, right? He's like, I don't want you to read it though. Like I'll, I'll find it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I, he's the priest holder. I guess there yes. it works. Um, yeah. you're, you know, you're going through this, this, this is your mother part. And mm-hmm. so to protect you, yeah. You know, so yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't like malicious or anything, but it was right. interesting because I, we both just went, well, that's the way it has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what else are you going to do? Um, And about six months later, he came to me and said, um, so I think I'm also leaving the church. <laughs> Which was so surprising. <laughs> I love that. I love that because I love the idea when you listen to conference talk, Mm-hmm. And you listen to these people, they're like, don't read anything. Don't talk to anybody. Right. They make it out like there's a secret society out there with a, a full on, you know, dialogue of anti-Mormon, uh, Satanistic, ritualistic stuff. Yep. And it's called church history. Oh, I know. Right. Well, Go well, that's where he started. Church. He started like on those essays that they had published because we were, that's about the time we left. Yeah. You know, and he was like, and he was, but he was looking to answer my questions versus looking to confirm an answer he already had. And I think that frame of mind gave him enough space to be able to really actually examine it so that he could explain it to me. And then he realized, oh, wow, there's a lot I don't know. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot that doesn't make sense. Yeah. As adult humans that have been a member of this organization, faithful and almost, you know, 40 hour a week dedication type people. Mm-hmm. And yet you get grown 65 year old men ser- that have served as stake presidents and mission presidents. And you tell them something, you're, then they're like, that's not true. Right. And then, you, you know, then you say, well, you know, history of the church, doc, you know, volume four, page 497. And they're like, oh, I never knew that, you yeah. know. Right. And that's the part that's so startling. And that's that's what they can't get rid of, because that is the history mm-hmm. that those are the journals. Those are the written words of Brigham Young that have been kept, you know. Right. And so all they can do is go, don't look, don't look, don't, don't. You right. Know, don't, 
Yeah, well, and I don't know. I don't know how familiar you are with with um, the the whole correlation movement in the 1960s. Yeah, yeah. When they when they kind of homogenized all the manuals, that's when they were like this: the white shirts, the ties, that like classic LDS look yeah. took place in the 60s to try to get. Which is why everyone still looks like they're in like the 50s or 60s, yeah. <laughs> um, it, because they wanted it to be harder for individuals to find the stuff that that was more available to LDS individuals like in the 40s and 50s, right? They wow. knew about the crazy things that would happen in that space. And so they really were very determined to say, nope, we're going to, everyone gets the same manuals, everyone gets the same lessons, everything has to be from the manual, you're not supposed to bring in stuff from other sources. And so... Right. You know, and then, but people went, well, wait a minute, I still have access. To, I think the internet really just, yeah, you know, really messed it up for them because people now have access to stuff and they didn't before. And, and I always say, well, if God was really like the LDS church was really true and God knew that people would invent the internet because God's supposed to be all knowing. Right. Um, which, by the way, can you imagine being all knowing how bored you would be? But I digress. Yes. <laughs> um, God's up there going, la, 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 Dara. No, I don't want to know. Anyway, um, so um, like he would know that this was going to happen and would have actually prepared the church for that instead of what, like the church is like 20 years behind in every right. space when right. it comes to that. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, so he found that and, and um, we, we left and I was okay. the, how old were your, how old were your, were your kids at this time? And you're they been baptized. Yeah. Um, so they were still in elementary school. Oh, wow. Okay. So you've got that whole crud. They got, they have their primary friends, they have boy scouts, they have, or whatever, yeah. young women's girls camp, all this stuff that was your history mm -hmm. of childhood. What are we going to do? Right. And, and, you know, so luckily we hadn't started young women's yet. Um, both my children are um, AFAB assigned female at birth. My youngest one's actually transgender. So, um, but um, we hadn't gone into that space yet, but yeah, primary had been a huge part of their lives. Like I said, they got baptized. So it mu they must've been, it must've been like nine, 10, 11, probably because they're a year and five days apart. So oh. yeah, I know. Second one was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. But actually, it was a good time to break because we hadn't started Young Women's. Yeah. So we were able to say, okay, this is different. We're entering junior high. We're not going to be doing these things. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was like, well, you know, now, now how am I supposed to make sure my kids know things but but it but it was interesting because as soon as i really like kind of understood that it wasn't supporting when i was able to accept and realize that it hadn't been supporting me in the way that i thought it had been all these years it actually made it easier for me to say i don't have to put my kids through that oh yeah yeah i don't have to when they come out as queer which by the way both of them have yeah react in a negative way right and right. were you in utah yeah I, we've lived in Utah our entire, um, my entire life. Yeah. Okay. So that's the part, again, that's the part where I have never lived in Utah and I don't have, like I said, I don't have generational, you know, heritage in the Mormon church. Yeah. My kids were all grown and gone. 
And my husband was not serving at the time. He had just been released from the bishopric and we moved to Arizona. We didn't know anybody, brand new ward. I was able to escape so easily, mm -hmm. but I, you know, now we've, we've decided to be snowbirds. So we're living in Utah six months out of the year. Got and it. it is literally a culture shock. I mean, mm -hmm. not, not as much if I had no, you know, experience in the Mormon church, yeah. But um, just the idea that it is, it is still a theocracy. It, it and if they had their if they had their way, the borders would be walled off. There would be no one allowed in unless you were Mormon. You yeah. know, there would be no alcohol to be found anywhere. Right. And it's, I mean, just little things like. And I don't, I don't drink. I mean, even after I left the church, I was kind of like, well, from a health standpoint, it's poison. So I'm not interested in that, you know, so, but still I would walk through this, I'd walk through Harmon's. What a fabulous little store we got going on there. Mm -hmm. I'm walking through and I'm like, where's the wine aisle? There's no <laughs> wine in this store. You know, all you can get is some 5% beer. That's like kombucha. What? Yep. You know? yep. And I was kind of like, wow. <laughs> okay. And then we get back to Arizona and I'm walking through AJ's, which is similar to Harmon's, a family owned. I you know, Trader Joe-ish type yeah. place. Mm -hmm. yeah. This five aisles of wine yep. and vodka and whiskey, you know, and I'm not saying that's a good thing. Let me say, I'm not well, saying Well, I mean, and it's this, it's the opposite experience for me. When I went to Idaho and saw that they were just selling wine and like the Smiths, I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in favor of alcohol. I'm not a pro alcohol person. I, I think it does a lot of damage, but um, but I mean, do you drink coffee? Because also that's a big sin. So, I do. yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Again, from a health standpoint. Yeah. If I have, you know, I, I wish I could be one of those people that did not need some kind of caffeine to get out of bed and go to a forty-five <laughs> class. But I, I cannot, you know, sleep at night if I think I have put in monster drink. You yeah. know, yeah. whatever those rock star, I cannot drink those. Yeah, those well. are like battery acid. They are yeah. just, they're really so bad. Gross. And so I'm, you know, I'm pulling the whole, and I'm, when I say this to my husband, he kind of shakes his head because when our son was doing a little bit of marijuana mm -hmm. and he tried to pull that, well, it's organic, it's a natural plant. My husband's <laughs> like, okay. So when I said to him, well, it's organic and it's a natural plant, he was like, really? Are we going to go there? And I'm like, whatever. You know, yeah. But yeah, no, exactly. So, so, well, okay. Yeah. Your kids are young, but you are surrounded yeah. and you've got to have people that are knocking on your door. They're going to get you back. They're going to invite your yeah. kids to activities. Mm -hmm. How did you that? Yeah. Well, there's two stories that stick out. Um, one is, so my husband was actually the first counselor in the bishopric when he left. So I was the society president. The ward must have been like, what? Oh, yeah. Well, and not to mention the fact that the bishop's wife was my first counselor in the Relief Society presidency. And so we were kind of the two like royalty of that ward. It was strange. Um, but did anyway, socialize? did you socialize together? Go ahead. No, no, oh. which is good um, because they weren't really my people. But like when it came to the ward space, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what we did. Right. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So the first was when the second counselor, well, to explain, my husband went and talked to the stake president and basically said, hey, I, because I, I, it's a first counselor in the bishopric is a stake calling. It has um, to be handed down that way. So he went to the stake president and said, 
which he didn't need to do, by the way. But, you know, it was still like trying to figure out how to navigate getting out. And um, basically he said, I don't believe the church is true anymore. I know I'm in this position. I need you to release me and put someone else in this role. I cannot be in this space anymore. It's disingenuous. I'm, I'm too honest of a person. Um, also, he had sat in on quite a few courts of love, which is how, what they call the disfellowship excommunication when he had been on the high council before he was the first president or the first counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was part of what he said. He said, you know, I, I was sitting in those going, I don't have the right to judge this person. I don't have the right to, you know, destroy their lives in this way. Um, it doesn't feel very loving. Um, and so, you know, he listed a couple things and the stake president, I kid you not in the middle of his like explanation, stops my husband and says, I don't want to hear it. I know your heart and I know you will return. Now you can leave my office. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. So my, my husband was like, oh, well, okay. I'm not though. So I never <laughs> did. <laughs> it was like 12 years ago, right? Yeah. Um, but it was so funny because of the way that happened the next week, the second counselor comes and knocks on our door and we're like, hey, how are you doing? And he was like, I've come to get the manual. Oh, and oh back and then you couldn't get your hands on it unless you had that authority. Yeah. Right. Well, now yeah. it's online and it, and it was online then too, but it was so interesting oh. that this man in the church didn't understand yeah. that the manual that the members of the bishopric had would be accessible online. You know, oh. <laughs> so we got to get it from us. Otherwise yeah. we go out and put it online. I don't know. It was just so funny that he didn't say, how are you doing? Or what's going on? It was just, Hey, we need the manual back. Oh, wow. And so mine was like, okay, <laughs> here it is. <laughs> we need the safe numbers too. We're going to change we need the-, the nuclear codes back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was interesting. And then the one that was really hard was, um, actually she had, we'd been pretty close. Um, she was the young women's president. And, um, when my oldest turned 12, they of course invited her to come to young women's and, and would come by with cookies and little gifts and knock. And my, and my daughter would always say, I'm not interested. Thank you. And, and she'd be like, okay. And so one day she came and she knocked and I answered the door and I said, Hey, listen, I know that in those meetings every month through, you know, in the bishop's office with the heads of all of the, all of the different um, auxiliaries, you guys sit there and talk about the ex-Mormons or the inactive Mormons and how to bring them back. And I know that the bishop is very clear on saying, hey, young women's president, it is your responsibility to make sure that these young women come back to church, basically, right? right? right, right. And so I said to her, um, I am relinquishing you from that responsibility, you have literally fulfilled your end of the bargain, your end of the contract between you and the bishop, between you and God. And I do not want to have any more contact from you, but I don't want you to feel like, oh, if I had just pushed harder, it would have been fine. I said, no, I've been there. I know what's going on in your brain. I'm taking that responsibility from you. I will be responsible for my child's salvation from this point on. And I said, and if you do come back and stuff, you know, I will not hesitate to call the authorities and say I'm being harassed. Um, You know, and, and she actually said, thank you for, for that um, explanation. And, and I, they didn't come by again. Wow. Yeah. 
but but because I was in it so yeah. deep, I really understood right. the pressure of what it is to be put in these callings and to feel responsible for for people that you really have no responsibility for. Right. But because of the calling and because the way is ch- the church is set up and because they're lay people being called to these things, they're told you have this special gift from God in this calling. Yeah. And that's going to give you um, more responsibility and and also ways to like bring people to God. And so you feel like you are somehow letting God down because he supposedly gave you these yeah. special abilities. Right. And if you can't do it in the way that you know, everyone in the, in the ward or the stake or is telling you to do, you're like, I'm going to be held responsible in the afterlife for these individuals that don't ever come back to church. Right. Right. You know? And that, that's funny too, because before the pandemic, um, I remember, I'm trying to remember what that, why I was there, but <laughs> we're meeting with the ward mission president mm-hmm. and he was and not the the warden mission leader leader yep. and, and yeah he's going through this list of people and he's saying okay now these people have asked not to be contacted and these people have asked you know and they're, so what we're going to do is we're going to assign this group to you and this group to you and i was like excuse me didn't you just say they've asked to not be contacted yeah but it was like no no that doesn't, doesn't matter. matter yeah no. And, and God knows best. And since yeah. we're the true church, God wants them to come to church. And so it doesn't matter what they want. Yeah. And I know that it's like the bishopric roulette. I know that just depends on the bishop and how yep, he handles things. And, and yeah. this particular mission leader was a little bit clueless of, of you know, yeah. like that too. But um, I remember when you said that as a mind maid, being called to be a mind, the mind maid president of the class. Mm-hmm. And I remember the bishop saying to me, now you understand that your responsibility is not just the girls that are in our ward, but all of the my made age girls in our ward boundaries. Yes. And that stuck with me forever. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I get that. It's it's everybody. And you know, and I think they say that about the Relief Society president, the bishopric, and I know, yep. you know, even you know, Russell Nelson is like, I'm not just a prophet. I am the prophet, you know, right. to everybody. So yeah, what as some people would take that as, um, you know, speaking of dis- of disorders and anxiety, can you imagine if you had any mm-hmm. inclination towards anxiety to have that responsibility put on you? Um, yeah. yep. It would just be, it would be life-threatening. I mean, yep. I can't even imagine. So um, so you've survived living, survived living in, in Utah. Utah school and seminary and sports and everything and your kids have flourished and and you've all managed have did you seek out any other kind of spiritualism at all as a family no um we did not i think that everyone was like we don't want to be fooled again yes um especially because the church is so like the thing that stuck with me and i and i remember thinking as the church is like we are the only true church on the earth and having the truth was the reason why we participated in this religion right even if there were uncomfortable things it had to be true right and so it's like and the way that the church taught truth was by through feelings right which we know is a really shit way to like you know um ascertain truth about anything, right? Right. Like that's not how it works. Um, And so, um, you know, we didn't, 
none of us wanted to really engage in any space and feel something and then be like, oh, we're going to be fooled again. And so um, we're not religious at all, but I think we're all on our own path individually to figure out our own spirituality and what that looks like. Um, My kids are on a different path than I am. My husband's on a different path than I am. And that kind of goes back to what you're saying at the beginning, where it's like, what rings true to you and what brings you joy internally, right? It's about an internal locus of control versus Mm -hmm. an external locus of control, right? right? So fundamentalist churches are very much about external locus of control, we are the ones that tell you what to do to feel certain ways. And we get to tell you how to interpret your feelings. This is what they mean. This is what it all is versus a spiritual, like individual spiritualized path is, is paying attention. Does this feel good to me? Does this not feel good to me? Why? And it doesn't have to be the same as everybody else because mm-hmm. truth is subjective when it comes to spirituality, because we just don't have, nor I believe should we have um, a prescribed way that everybody is supposed to show up in that space. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, it, it, when you mentioned uh, Mormon expressions and infants on thrones, and these were all podcasts that I fell into that really uh, brought out so much of the history and your polygamy. Yeah. And uh, I was listening, I was re-listening to um, Naked Mormonism with mm-hmm. Bryce Blankenagle. He's going to be a guest on our show a little in a little bit. Nice. And um, he said, at, towards the end, he said, uh, I had a friend recommend a documentary to me called Kumari. And he, and I was like, oh, write that one down. So, yeah. after, <laughs> so I found it on, on uh, Prime, Prime Video. And it's exactly what you said. It's a young man who was raised in, I think, Boston. And his parents were Hindu. And mm. so he had, the, he had the look. He had the... Um, he was raised Hindu. His parents, even though they, they he was an American kid and they lived in America, they wanted to make sure that he knew he was Hindu and they taught him all the rituals and they participated in all of it. And he said, I had a grandmother that I loved and she did her rituals every day. And so he decided to take on this persona of a guru, grew his hair out, grew his beard, put on the flowy gown. And he said, I copied my grandmother's voice and her way of speaking. And so the documentary talks about he acquired a group, yep. he had 15 followers. And when, and, but what was funny is the entire time, and I shouldn't spoil it because just go watch it. But of course it is an example of how people can get attached to charismatic leaders. And when people would meet him, they would say, I felt a connection to you when I first yeah. met you. I can yeah. see the blue light around you. Uh, you've helped me to, I've lost 70 pounds because of what you've taught me. And I've found myself, I mean, everything. Yep. And when you see things like this and you realize, and then you do some of the the history with Joseph Smith and Sidney mm-hmm. Rigdon and Oliver Cowdery and all of these people. And you're like, yeah, that's how it works. That's and, right. and it does, when people say, well, what, when you leave the why do you have to become an atheist after you leave the Mormon church? And it's exactly what you said. It's like, well, first of all, I'm gun shy now because I don't want to show up a couple of times and then have you sign me up for the ladies women's club that right. I now have to get out of. And, um, and I'm not, I, you know, I now have to go back through all of Mormon history. Now I got to go back through Christian biblical history to get that whole schmeal. And so you do just get a little gun shy and, the sad thing is, Annalise, 
and I'm sure this is what you do in all your specialties, is teaching people to trust themselves. Intuition. Intuition and, and to be okay with who they are. They don't, and I just saw someone else made a, a thing where it's people say, um, who, oh, it was, uh, um, oh golly, why, Hanks. It was Julie Hanks hmm. and she just said, you know, and tell me if you find this, um, people don't know who they are when they leave That's the right. church. They have no self-identity whatsoever. And um, and I've had people say that to me. Well, you know, who, you know, what do you want to do? What are your goals? And, and yeah. you know, and I'm like, I don't know. First yeah. of all, I, I think I've spent a, two acts of my life. I've only got one act left. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time. I don't know what I want to do because yeah. I just am now finding out who I'm, who I am and that it's okay to be who I am. So let, let's, let's segue yeah. that into... Yeah your uh, trauma group that yes. you have. Yeah. And I think that that is such a, like I was saying, I think for people that have never been in a fundamental religion, mm -hmm. like you say, Scientologists, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, RLDS, any of these people that have come from fundamental religion, they get it. Yes, but they if, do. If you've just been born, if you're just Methodist or Nazarene or Baptist or whatever, you're just like, what's the big deal? So yep. I you know, we moved to this country. I just joined the Trinity Church in, instead of the Church of Christ because it's Baptist, whatever. Right. And this whole trauma thing. So with your yeah. what, where, where are people coming from and where do you do it singularly or do you do it as group therapy? Both. Um, if someone wants an individual experience, then we'll we'll go where they are and figure it out, um, which is which is. Um, I love in I love group. I love individual therapy. I just I just love therapy. It was, it's just so um, enrich enriching. Um, but with the with the groups, I have two groups right now. I'm thinking of adding a third. Actually, I think um, uh, for group for people that live in Utah that have never been Mormon, um, because they also experience that like you talked about the culture shock and like how to be how do you make friends with someone if you walk out the front door with wine and they all of a sudden won't talk to you again. Um, but the groups that I'm currently running, one is for individuals who are just barely, like I said, questioning or are barely out and are like, what is happening? What do I do? I'm drowning. I'm angry. I'm confused. I don't know how to trust myself. Um, and, and so that group tends to be individuals that, like I said, are still like, is it true? Is it not true? But I feel like it might be, and I don't want to be angry all the time. Um, one of the things that I noticed, so when I first left the church, we went to, and I think a lot of people do like ex-Mormon meetups, parties, groups, stuff like that to try to like process. And there was one individual at one who said, yeah, I've been going to these things for 15 years. And I just remember thinking, but your identity is not you, your identity is an ex-Mormon, oh. right? And I don't like the idea of an identity. And, you know, and some people say former Mormon, post-Mormon. I like, I was raised Mormon um, because you don't want your identity to be an ex of something else. I love right? that. Yeah. You don't want to be like, oh, someone's like, who are you? Oh, I'm an ex-Mormon. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Mormon's still in your title. It's still in your identity. Like, just be a human being. What does that mean? Um, yeah. Right. And so I thought, oh, gosh, we've really got to help people stop looking backwards and look forward and just live their lives instead of being stuck in this cycle all the time. And so the first group is a lot of psychoeducation about things like 
you know, um, how do you, cause you know, it's taught be in the world, but not of the world and talking yeah. about like, how do you be of the world? How do mm-hmm. you keep safety? Right. I mean, it, it's like you're in your thirties or forties some, sometimes and, and, and people are like, how do I order a cup of coffee and not look like an idiot at the store? Right? Yeah, like what? And like, you know, I don't know. Like, how do I, how do I decide I, if I want to try alcohol or not? Mm-hmm. How do you do that in a safe space? Yeah. Um, but also a lot of it is education about the way that the church has a lot of psychoeducation about A, how trauma works, which we'll talk about in a second, and B, yeah. how the church has specifically on purpose done things to keep you in a space of not actually ever knowing who you really are, right? Because they've told you you're a child of God. Yeah. That is your identity. Right. Um, and and um, some of some of you, your guests maybe or your listeners may be familiar with this. Um, some have not, but um, I highly suggest that just go on the on the web and look up Kohlberg, K-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. Kohlberg's stages of moral development. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a it's a theory that basically talks about the ages in which individuals learn to become um, the the behavior and the actions and the thoughts, um, how they how you grow and develop, right? So like the first stage is um, they call it blind egoism. So only like yourself, and the norms are recognized. And so if you think of a toddler, they're in stage one, right? It's all about what they can get. They don't care about anybody else's feelings, um, right? And then stage two is they see that other people have different goals and they either conform to those goals or their norms or or they decide, I actually don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do something else. Um, but they look to... Um, authority to like, you know, this kid is doing something wrong, but who says that the teacher or the parent or some kind of an authority. And so they're like, I'm the person you come to if you need to know, is this right? Is this wrong? Right. 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 Um, And yeah. And then stage three is um, uh, recognize good and bad intentions. And so this is actually the stage that many LDS people or fundamentalist individuals never really actually get beyond or even get to. A lot of people are stuck in that stage two, which is I pay attention to authority and authority is what tells me what is good, what is bad, right? And so the next stage up when it talks about intentions, and that's when people start to go, and this is where the, the, the moral growth of people normally happen. Like these are normal stages people go through, right? Right. The top is stage six. And that's when like people that are functioning in stage six are the ones that are like, the government has said this is wrong. And so we're going to go out and protest, right? That's that social justice piece of like, we're really thinking for ourselves and feel moral about what we're doing. Um, But stage three is when people start to go, wait a minute, I was taught that Joseph Smith was this type of person and I now have information that he was actually this type of person and maybe his intentions in marrying Fanny, whatever her name is, um, were not pure. Right. But they're, but they don't learn that it's okay and normal to develop your own opinion. If an authority figure tells you that it is what you're supposed to be doing. And if that authority figure is a prophet, 
who speaks from God um, and God is the ultimate authority, how would you be able to develop that moral integrity of um, uh, it's okay if I, if I, you know, ask these types of questions. So um, that's one of the, the things that it's really important as people start to like figure out how to figure out who they are. Right. right. What is it that is, that is a belief you have? Do you believe there's an authority out there that absolutely knows you well enough? Yeah. What what age do they place that normal that behavior? Yeah, the the, the norm. Um, yeah. So let me actually quickly look at this slide here. Um, I was just so, thinking I should put that up and put up a slide for people to follow. And and yeah. how do you follow like James Fowler? And I think there's another there's another stages of faith stages of. Richard Rohr has a whole, do they, are they, you know, are they all kind of the saying the same thing? Yeah. I like, mean, basically, right. It's like, you know, um, we, we want to be perceived as good. We right. want to, to be perceived as um, being able to make choice um, and, 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 and be a good person. And so an individual that, and that's what morality is, right. Um yeah. And so when a person doesn't have that internal control or understanding of what it means to be a good person or a bad person, they have to use authority, right? So elementary school age is about the time when that most children are still like, the teacher said to do it this way, so we're going to do it this way. Junior high, junior high and, and high school is when they start to say, wait a minute, Yeah, my teacher said this, and that just doesn't feel right. That's, that's not exactly what needs to happen. Right. And so, and this is all, this is all in the conventional level of moral reasoning. Right. So this is like, and it starts about 10 and it goes through adolescence, but by the time you're an adult, you should be able to have grown into the post-conventional stage. And that's, where morality takes on more of an abstract orientation. It's not tied to anyone's like personal or, or social norms. Right. It's more of like standards of morality are applied to like a worldwide thing. And you can like take information and decide for yourself. What is it a moral space or not? Right. Yeah. What's so, what's so sad about that is that when you, when you put it in stages like that and you realize that, um, you know, 5 million people are in elementary school. Yep. Mentally. Yes. That they have mentally not. Mentally, morally. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mentally and morally, they have not reached. And I say 5 million just coming from the fact that the church says 17 million, but we all know sure. that. We all know that they're lying. Yeah. <laughs> rounded off to like five, you know, 5 million people that yeah. have never matured past. Well, my, my teacher said I had to do that. That's, That's right. it. Playground. That's it. That's, That's it. it. Rules of the playground, and, mm -hmm. and, and the playground. And not only did my teacher tell me I have to do that and think that way, my male white cisgender teacher told mm -hmm. me this is appropriate for yeah. me. And so uh, that's 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 well, it's not that many people when you consider the whole. But there are other fundamental religions out there that have that same you know yeah. mentality and and thumb well, over the people. So right. And and the other thing I say a lot is um the LDS church and other fundamentalist church 
take away from you what is already yours and attempt to sell it back to you at a price. But they're not even selling you the original thing they took from you. They're selling you a fake, a facsimile of it, right? It's got so many strings attached. But the thing is, it was already yours. You already had intuition. You already had connection. You already have this internal compass of how we're supposed to treat people. Right. 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 Um, Paying attention to what is happening in the room, um, you know, and being able to say, maybe there's something, if some, if someone's really behaving badly, say it's not because they were sinning or, or, or if bad things happened to them, there's so many other things that could be going on, right? Right. Um, Anxiety, depression, mental health issues. Um, The brain is really kind of horrible at processing trauma Mm -hmm. and being able to help people understand like what it means to be present in the moment, to be mindful, to be in that space. Um, when we talk about trauma with the brain, right. it's interesting because um, what happens is the amygdala, which is the fight, flight, freezer, fawn part of the brain, also known as the lizard brain, um, becomes activated and anytime, and it's fear of the unknown, basically anxiety is fear of the unknown. So when it becomes activated, when it thinks about the past or thinks about the future, Right. And then it's like, what's going to happen in the future is bad things going to happen because of these things that happened in the past. And the reason our brain does that is because it is a very useful thing. Uh, It was and it still is a useful thing um, when you're actually in danger. Right. Right. So someone throws a ball at your head. If you had to think there's a ball coming at my head, you'd be hitting that. Yeah. But the amygdala kicks in, dumps all this cortisone and adrenaline in your body and you flee or you right. fight like if someone threatens you. Right. It's it's right. it's an instinct. The problem with anxiety is that the amygdala really doesn't know how to tell if you're in danger or not. If you have been traumatized and not allowed to learn how to be present in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so if someone has told you their entire your entire life that if you masturbate, you're sinning and you end up and you do it anyway, the amygdala is activated and saying you're in danger. Mm. And what you're in danger of is being ostracized from the group. Mm. And that's an evolutionary process that all of us as humans have because we haven't ever evolved our amygdala beyond um, needing to be part of a group. Well, and not only that, but I like what you said about, you know, not only did they, do you have no idea who you are, but they took who you were, scrambled it up and, and like you said, and, and uh, filled it with different things and then gave it back to you. And so, and yet, so you have, so you have a, they, they're very big proponents on families, right? Family is a woman and a man. That's right. And, and, and they say, well, you bring different strengths to this relationship and it's important for children to be raised with both a mother and a father, but then they take away the mother Mm. and they say, but really it's the father, right? Because as a mother, if, if it was true that they respected and honored the different roles of these different sex, then you would say, let's let's look at what a a mother can read her children's faces and look at her husband and say, you need to be quiet. You're scaring the crap out of them. Right. And and if you had a good relationship and respect for each other, the husband would go, 
oh crud, I didn't even see that. I just was, I was just, you know, using my role as, as the, uh, you know, protector of the home and, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. the other titles that they put on men's roles. Right. And, but if you really truly did respect the mother's intuition where you're like, I, in fact, I'll never forget a couple of years ago, the um, oh, crud, he was one of the new apostles and he was talking about how he and his wife were at some kind of an event and uh, some kind of a, like award gathering. Yeah. And the mother said, where's, where's the baby? Where's one of the little toddlers? And they're like, we don't know. We don't know. And she said, I knew, I, I just knew in my gut that something was wrong. I, I needed to go find the baby. But the husband was like, that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So then they go and the, the baby has fallen into a tub of water and drowned. And um, so I forget it's the, it's, I forget where he's from anyway, but I just, the, what I heard when this conference talk was being given was you didn't listen to her intuition. Yeah. And, but that was not the message at all that was given. The message was something else, I don't know, priesthood, something else. But I yeah. thought that message got completely lost that she knew intuitively that there was danger, mm -hmm. but he did not respect her role as a woman or her gifts as a woman to act on it. Yeah. And so, you know, hence. Yeah. So, and then, and then yeah. she feels like I don't have the right to have right. intuition. I don't have the right because to have a something power. that I have. Right. Exactly. Because yeah. there's a power that takes authority over that intuition. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, you know, they give you back this role, but then they tell you how this role is going to play out. That's right. That's so, right. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So a lot of that first group is, is going in that space and teaching them about the trauma. I mean, and it's not, we're not wrong. We do need each other as human beings. We yes. would be eaten by lions in, you know, caveman days if we didn't have group. So that's right. what our amygdala was, was, was formed to do. But when trauma happens, whether it be in a religious space or not, it tells the body you're in danger all the time. Yeah. What uh, is yeah. incredibly insidious in my opinion, about religious trauma versus other types of trauma. Um, they still show up in the body the same way. They feel the same way. But because people don't believe that religion is traumatic, when someone says, oh, I think that this trauma came from a religious teaching or doctrine, people that believe go, well, that doesn't make sense because it's supposed to be uplifting and helpful and true. And so they're gaslit. You know, if someone said I was sexually assaulted and I'm going to a trauma group, people wouldn't be like, you, yeah. you yeah. can't be traumatized by sexual assault. Right. right. And so right. there becomes this like space of not being believed. And then the trauma keeps coming up and the person starts blaming and the amygdala gets more activated. And even after they leave even because, and they left for the reasons like we've talked about church history and finding out it, it, all of these different things. Um, the trauma hasn't been worked on in that yeah. space. And yeah. um, so a lot of the group is about just psychoeducation. How does trauma work? And then how did the church um, try to keep you in this trauma bond because there are moments where it's like, okay, go pray or go repent or whatever, and you will feel better. And that does happen because that's the belief, right? If we believe something is going to do something, then it will. Yes. It doesn't mean it's true and it doesn't mean it was helpful, but that's how trauma bonds 
happen in those spaces. Abused women, it takes them like seven to nine times of leaving before it actually like sticks for them. They keep going back to the man that abused them because of that trauma bond, because of, of that space. So um, a lot of it is is like helping people learn what trauma is and that it's okay um, to, to know that um, their trauma and we call it small T trauma and big T trauma. So small T trauma, which is also complex PTSD, is lots of little repeated traumas that happen over time that you don't even know are causing you to be activated. Mm. Um, but then people say, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm. Like I was, I couldn't have really been traumatized. Yeah. And then they never step outside of the anger or they never step outside and say, but who am I? How do I develop into a morally conscious person who has an internal locus of control? I get to decide how right. I show up right. and trust myself. Yeah. How do you deal with, um, because I was forget who I was just listening to, but there was a, some kind of a, a renowned person and he was talking about his traumatic childhood. Mm -hmm. uh, parents died, separated from his siblings and the whole thing. But then as an adult, as a very successful adult, he has the same, the, 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 you know, the trope, well, I'm grateful for those experiences because it made me who I am today. I see. And so you find, you know, and my brother and I have both done the same thing. We're like, well, you know, we were really, um, we learned how to be very self-sufficient because we had to be. And I'm grateful for that because it, sure. it allowed me to do a lot of things um, that maybe other people would have been afraid to do. But I had learned from a child, if I wanted something done, I had to do it myself. And so, but, but then you get to the point where as an adult, you start going, okay, but that mm -hmm. would have been nice to have somebody be there for me that I could have depended on. And maybe I wouldn't be quite as um, selfish as I am because I could have trusted that other people would come through. Well, and so, it sounds like, I mean, you had high resilience. I think a lot of us just have high resilience. Yeah. But what I would say is the the things that we go through, first of all, my belief, no one on the planet has escaped trauma. We've it's, all been traumatized in some way. Just right. being alive is I'm sure my kids have been they but my kids yep. they tell me, well you weren't there to pick us up. I'm like, I know, but there were six of you. So I <laughs> so we've all so and, and basically what that means is that there have been things that have happened that um made our amygdala say we're in danger. And yeah. then the problem will with 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 looking back on the trauma and not treating it and saying, I'm glad I went through this because it made me stronger yeah. is that you don't acknowledge that the strength that you have is because you became aware or bigger than what the trigger is telling you you should do. Right. So, for example, I don't go into LDS church buildings. Why? Mm -hmm. It's triggering. Why? Because it is. And it makes my body feel yucky and weird and traumas held in our body. Right. And so for me, even though if I went into an LDS building, I know nobody would, um, nothing actually bad would happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but, my, yeah. but my body takes the trigger and the association and makes it a threat. Uh -huh. So what we need to do in those situations and say, everyone's traumatized. What have we learned from it? And then we understand what our triggers are so that when they do come up, 
we say, okay, this is not allowing me to actually use my executive function. Mm-hmm. Um, another evolutionary thing, just real quick, when we are triggered, all of the sugar that normally was going to our brains is rerouted to our hearts to give us that adrenaline and energy to, to run and stuff, which is why when we're panicky or very triggered, we can't access our logic. We forget oh. all the things we know, yeah. right? We forget even how to ground. And so sometimes I'll have clients put up around their house, little notes. Remember, you know how to ground, right? Because we don't have access to that. Um, And so what happens is in those moments, we literally are at the mercy of the association of what happened to us at the time being projected as this is going to happen to us again. And so when we do do trauma work, what we're doing is we're teaching the body how to ground and also we're reteaching the brain Walking into an LDS church may not be um, as devastating as it is. I mean, I have no reason to go to LDS church. If I really did, I would work on the trauma in that space. And actually, I've gotten to the point um, that I don't actually care that the LDS church exists beyond like I know they do. I don't watch conference. I don't go in that space. It used to be because it triggered me. Now I'm like, I don't. I don't really care. They don't get a seat at my table in my brain anymore. Um, But so when you talk about like becoming strong because of trauma, I would, I would challenge that and say you're strong because you were able to help your executive function understand that um, you are not a little child anymore, or Mm -hmm. you're not actually in the back of a van being, you know, assaulted. right. Right. And so, you know, and you can be more empathetic to those that have gone through those things, but it's it's teaching your brain how to actually recognize the difference between real threat and perceived threat mm. in that space. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And it, it reminds me of, of the thing that I heard one time where they said, you know, your physical reaction to something is a physical reaction. Whether you're standing in line to get on a uh, Ferris wheel and you're nervous and you've got butterflies and you're you're a little bit frightened and you're thinking I could die on this stupid carnival ride, yeah, that's the same emotional feeling as an, some something else. So if you can look at it that way and go, okay, I have a little stage fright or I'm a little nervous, or mm-hmm. and then take that as am I triggered or is this a physical reaction? And am I in danger or not? My brain might be confused. Yeah. It's interpreting what my body is doing as danger. And that's what trauma does. Yeah. If you weren't traumatized, you'd be like, oh, this is just nervous butterflies and I'm fine. The Ferris wheel's not going to die. But if you had, if there was like, let's say you had been in a, some kind of other different type of carnival accident, even if it wasn't the roller coaster. Right. Right. Then I, it would be trauma informed. Yeah, exactly. I like that word trauma informed, because like you say, it isn't until you've lived long enough to have things happen. Like you were saying, I hear a rustle in the in the bush. And I think, is that a tiger or Mm -hmm. is that the wind? And if you've had experiences with family members or tribal members that have gotten eaten by tigers, you're like, it could be a tiger. So I don't know, but I'm out of here. And, you know, but like like your experience, you know, we um, our youngest son was born severely disabled. And I had five healthy children before that. 
I have no disabled people in my family whatsoever. My world did not was not surrounded by any kind of disability that I knew about besides personality disorders. But, but um, so the idea that I could have a child that was disabled was like I don't have disabled children. That doesn't work. And so, but now as my children started having children, the idea that I could have a grandchild with a disability was like, yeah, that could happen. Right. And so you know, and so it changes your whole perspective. And I think, as you were saying, when when you start doing whether it's church history or some kind of experience at church, you start going, "Oh, that could happen. Mm -hmm. That could happen. That could be a bad thing. It isn't all you know, puppy dogs and rainbows." Yeah. And, and so there is that idea. Oh, maybe I need to look at this a little bit, or at least turn on just a tiny bit of critical thinking. I don't know, but. Well, right. Like maybe I should move into stage three or four of my moral yeah. development. Not that yeah. you know that that's what's happening, but yeah. but yeah. when you start to question and whatever, and the people in authority are like, "Stop!" Yeah, right? yeah. stop stopping. Yeah, it 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 literally dysregulates you. It yeah. dysregulates your body. That it, and it, that's it's, it's traumatizing to be told to stop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I listen to the, I listen to conference mostly because I'm still fascinated that in 2023, they think they can get, get past this, that they can still say things that, like you said, they said in 1960, and you're like, you can't say that anymore. Right. Dude, no, nobody believes this anymore. You know, <laughs> exactly. no, I know you're 95. I know. <laughs> nobody believes this in the real world, you know, but yeah, husband, I like that. in the, in the outside of the Mormon corridor, nobody. Yeah. Believes this. Yeah. 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 But my husband is still an active member of the church. So I watch it just in case they're bringing back polygamy because I want to be informed. You know? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, Fair. Yeah. But um, you know, they, they did a lot of talk about tithing and uh, I thought, people still honestly believe this. Mm. And I would say to my husband, like I would say, how do you guys get together? How do you three married men with financial stability get together as a bishopric and decide that it's okay for that single mother with mm. children, with an abandoned husband, that she has to come over and clean the church on Saturday morning on, on top of a full-time job, Mm. Um, to make up for the welfare that you're giving her. How do you sleep at night? And he'll say, oh no, they love it. They they really, they love that they can give back. Uh, and, and I thought that's because they've been indoctrinated to be told. I mean, it's that, Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, how Because they, they're, they're like, no, that is the way to blessings. That's right, that's exactly right. And it's like, well, you just want to say, if you go down to the food bank, they don't ask anything of you. They will give you food. That's and, right. and they uh, don't care who you are and they don't care yeah. your orientation or your gender or anything. You, they'll just be like, you need food? Yeah. We're feeding you. That's actually yeah. one of the other reasons I love Halloween so much is it's like the one day of the year where everyone gets candy. It doesn't it. matter who the children are. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're teens or adults. I give candy to everyone. Yes. I don't make them go how old are you? Or, yes. you know, you better say trick or treat. No, there's no conditions. People show up and you say, grab a handful of candy. Happy Halloween. Right. And where there's just such joy in that experience, like being able to just be in that mode and say, you don't have to prove anything to me to be treated like a human being and for me to give something to you. And, oh, and I love that great. correlation. I love that correlation. <laughs> you're right. And they come to you're like, oh, yeah, we don't do princesses here. No. Yeah. <laughs> No. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, we only do Star Trek. So, yeah, you, so you you, yeah. you go. I think there's a Star Trek house down the street. Yeah. Like, exactly. I think they're giving out candy to that to yeah. that group. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that because you're right. It's like open the door. I don't care if you're 16 or 17. If you've got a pillowcase and sunglasses, I'm like whatever. Sounds yep. good. The fact yeah, that you're I'm right. like you get to participate in the joy that oh. that is available to you, and and it doesn't matter if. Well, how much money they make, right? Yeah, it's one of the, like, I mean, Christmas is great, I guess. I mean, I have issues with Christmas, but um, it's so determined by like economic status, the way that people celebrate, but not Halloween. No, nope. Halloween is just have some candy, kids, have That's some candy, exactly. adults. And I loved, I loved when you, like you said, when we lived in um, Oregon and we lived kind of in a, a subdivision that was kind of down and people would at the top, they would park their car and let their kids out because it was a subdivision. So you could go house, 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 yeah. house, 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 mm -hmm. first yep. you know, two miles in between each house. Yeah. And I love that we had, like you were saying, I have no idea where these kids came from, all economic backgrounds, all, all different socioeconomical backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh my gosh, you are so cute. You know, yep. uh, I don't know who you are, where you came from, what your parents <laughs> did for a living. Uh, anything. It's like, here's some candy. That is, I love that analogy. That makes me love Halloween even more. Especially. Right? Yeah. Oh, you're, well, you're welcome. You and go. I, that is the way people think, or that is the way they advertise church. Yes, they do. We love you for who you are. We welcome Come on in and we'll give you candy. No yes. strings attached. Oh, wait. Yes. There are they so many strings attached. Them. There's so, so many, right? Yeah. Well, and then I, I do want to talk a little bit about my my second group that I do. So yeah. this the second group is for people who mostly still live in Utah and don't know how to live in Utah. And and it's basically like curiosity towards an authentic life living in Utah because a lot of people can't leave, right? I hear so many people say, well, we just got to get out of Utah. And I and if that's their solution, go. Yeah. But how about reclaiming Utah as right. a place where there is community, there is like joy. There's so much Utah has to offer outside of the LDS faith right. that it's sad that, you know, people go, well, I got to get out of this state in order to feel healthy. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we do a lot about, yeah. Because I thought to myself, you know, having been in New York for a few times in the fall when the, the a lot of Jewish holidays are starting and and you would see that. But I don't remember ever feeling as though if I'm not Jewish, I'm not comfortable in New York. Right. And so I thought, but Utah has got to be the only state in now. There, it might be more in the South if you're not in a fundamental. Baptist or, you know, but yeah. Baptist, mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Um, it, so I could be speaking without the knowledge, but I just feel like Utah, Utah is, is one of the places of the, yeah, there yeah like you say, <laughs> there are so many beautiful things about that. The, you know, the hiking and the, the landscape and everything that's beautiful about, and there are more and more people that are coming because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the idea, because I have a friend that is black and she has people tell her that all the time. Why don't you just leave? She's like, I don't, can't, I, I, this is where I live with my husband and my children. Like our, our life is here. And a lot of people's families are here, whether they're members of the church or not, they still yeah. want to be around these people that they love. Right. You know? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how do you, so you, you're coaching these people on how to get along with their Mormon neighbors. How does that yeah. work? What do you, well, what, what, <laughs> well, first of all, the thing I say is I tell everyone, if you all leave this group feeling uh -huh. the same way about spirituality and living in Utah as everyone else in this group, I have completely failed. 
Okay. Because there is the one thing we don't want to do is try to find something to fill that hole just because we have been conditioned that this is a hole we need to fill, right? right. Um, everyone is going to show up differently in the state. And some of you are going to really get behind social justice. Some of you are going to go and like, you know, start searching out use, use of psychedelics. Some of you are going to want to go um, try all the coffee shops that right. are, you know, some of you are going to want to just stay home and raise your kids. Just like right. not a big deal. Right? right. And so it's saying, what are we looking for? We're looking for community that exists in the, in the, in the space of Utah that lets us just enjoy being here without having to have an agenda to be in this state, right? Yeah. Because a lot of ex-Mormons, unfortunately, and I get it, right? It's that it's, it's funny. It's like, you can take the, the Mormon out of the church, but can you take the missionary out of the ex-Mormon, right? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, being able to say, you don't need to go and convert all of the LDS people to get out of the church, although that's yeah. a tendency we all have. Um, yeah. But what you you can do is say, my community are going to be the people that are doing the things and are interesting to me that I am going to either create myself or search out and show up and say, let's do this. Let's be in this space. Let's investigate this. Um, you know, and so a lot of it is just about how to help them develop. How do I know what my values are? Okay. How, right. How, what are my values? Am I moving towards them? Am I moving away from them? Why are they my values? Mm -hmm. What can I do in my life that's going to help me feel authentically part of um, spaces that align with my values, um, you know, and, and be able to say, we want Utah to be a safe space for everybody that lives here. Right. What does that look like for you? Does that mean you go on Capitol Hill and say, hey, the transgender law is shit? Yeah. That calls to you? Do that. Right. If it doesn't, don't don't feel like you're a failure in that space. If you right. say, I want to just, you know, um, mow my lawn on Sunday and not have my neighbors. Yeah, with no shirt on. No yeah. shirt on or, or in a bikini or something. Right. And not have my neighbors come out and say, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. Being able to say, hide the children. Yeah, hide the children. Yeah. How are you going to be OK knowing yeah. you can't emotionally regulate anyone other than yourself. Uh, there you go. There you go. Well, it's a lot about like emotional regulation. How do you show up strong in those spaces? And, and we're not out to prove right. that we are correct. Right. And okay. I certainly don't want to be, it was so interesting. You brought up that story about that documentary. The one thing I really don't want to be is ginger Zen therapy cult leader, right? Annalisa yeah. cult leader yeah. of yeah. the ex-Mormons, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to be in the background and just say, let's figure out a way that you guys can, can come into your own. And, and there's no right, wrong or way, right? People want, it's interesting, even in individual therapy, there's some people that want my approval mm -hmm. as they're leaving the, the church that I tell them they're doing it the right way. Right. Okay. And I'm like, does yeah. it feel right to you? Yeah. Why are you doing it this way? I literally don't think about you when you're not in this room. <laughs> Right, like, so, which is how I have to be as a therapist. Yeah. Um, but you know, to say 
examine it in yourself. Um, yeah. I have this, um, it's called a values card sort. You can just buy them on Amazon. It's a bunch of values and I will do it with clients whenever they're struggling and knowing who they are and what their identity is. And it changes over time. What are your values, right? Yeah. Lay yeah. them out, choose your top 10. Tell me what they mean to you. You get to describe what they mean. You get to decide how you show up in those spaces. Right. And so that's that's a lot of the focus of that second group is just creating a space that people can walk in and say, I, I like, or I want to stay here, or even if I don't, Right. I don't want to be an ex-Mormon. Yeah. I want to be a person who is worthy to be here because when I walk outside, the sun shines on my skin. And yeah. that is enough. Yeah. That's so fascinating that you have a group of people that are coming to you to learn how to be an individual person. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and, and the idea, I mean, I don't know any, I, we, when we, one of the beautiful things about moving um, to Arizona was we live in a community and I have no idea what the religions is. I know there are, I know there's one lady um, up the street who let everyone know right away. I, I will have Bible study in my home on Monday mornings. You're invited to come. And she let everyone, we knew right off the bat that this is a very Christian woman, right. Other than, but I honestly don't know what denomination she is. I just know that she loves Jesus. And she said, sure. the Bible. I don't know what denomination any of the people are uh, on this street. And yet um, we all seem to, you know, we can take each, each of us individually for their personalities, their talents, their hobbies, right. That's how we to know them. Yeah. The, like the community is not about the religion. Yes. And the fact that you have to have people in therapy to say, how do I live in this place? Yeah. You know, with this weird culture that's over. And I'm sure, like you say, it is a culture and, and I don't separate church and culture because I know that they are the same right. um, yes. or that one comes from the other. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I'm sure it would be like moving to, you know, Saudi Arabia. Right. And I, I've got to know, you know, but I don't think people actually understand it is the same as moving to Saudi Arabia or, you know, to another country. I, I lived in Japan and there were certain cultural things that were OK and things that weren't OK. And mm -hmm. and, you know, and so it really it really is like moving to a different country when you move to Utah. Right. So, well, that's why I was like, I'm I'm thinking of, of actually doing a group for people that have never like been in it so that they yeah. also can feel and find their space here. Um, right. <laughs> and have little cards that are like, you know, like when I say when I lived in Japan, I remember I worked for um, after we moved back to the States, I worked for a Japanese owned travel agency mm -hmm. and I would say things that I, and I had a group of students that had arrived and their teachers had arrived with them and I was just being myself. So I'm just like, Oh, guess what? One of the host families canceled, but no problem. I found another one. And my boss was like, could I speak to you? <laughs> and he's like, don't you ever let them know that a family was canceled and that we did not do our job. It was that whole save face thing. Right. Culture. And I was like, I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, I found another family. It's like, right. You tell them that the mother died and that <laughs> had to find another host family. And I was like, Okay, this is a weird cultural thing going on here. But mm -hmm. that that was an that's an example of just the culture, and you know, and this was a number of years ago, but it's the same thing. It's like in Utah, 
you want to do you know, it's like, exactly like and this is how you make friends and this is how you allow your kids to still have friends in the neighborhood and <laughs> like you know and people are just like what are you talking about we're all americans i'm like yeah. Fair, but also <laughs> that's not the number one identity of a lot of the, you know, yeah. people in this space. And so, yeah, um, yeah it's, it, it's, it's a little better now that they've, they've, you know, kind of dropped the, like you say, the second piercing and the tattoos. I remember when we first moved there and I went to an exercise yeah. class and I was like, oh, there's tattoos here. I'm not, this is going to be okay. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, there's a little bit of things going on. And then of course, all those part city people, you know, all those movie stars that are, they're just wrecking everything for those poor 15 people in Salt Lake that are like, ah, we're out of control. We're losing. Right. Control. I know. <laughs> well, and, and, and honestly, I think the people themselves are, like you said, coming around to it. It's, yeah. it's the church and the, and the, and the people at the top that are yeah. so, so unwilling to allow the church to develop into a space that is more accepting, right? Yeah. They just can't let it go. And I'm like, I guess we just have to wait till they all die and maybe the church will become more progressive. Yeah. I don't really know. But right now it's just so difficult to, you know, hold space for somebody that you know is not a safe person for you if you reveal certain things about yourself, you know, right. that, that right. they're going to treat you in a way that it's really none of their business because it doesn't matter to them. Like it shouldn't matter to them what your habits are or what lifestyle you're living because it's not causing them any harm. Zero. Right. Harm, right. right. Yeah. yeah. They yeah, just that, can't see that. that that's so fascinating. And I love the fact that because I'm because my husband is a member. So we went to the restore conference because mm. he's he goes to everything with me. And sure. I don't want I'm curious. I'm going to go to this with him. And I thought to myself, this is um, this is like this new version of Mormonism that I didn't grow up in that they're promoting as no, no, no we do this. You know, I'm like, I think we're still in Ohio and you guys are in Missouri. And <laughs> I think we have two different religions going on here. And it's just fascinating to me because they, as we, when we were talking, you know, I have so many friends and I follow a lot of people online that are, they'll say, well, yeah, I'm Jewish. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I go to this, um, uh, you know, this, I have a female rabbi and I eat pork and right. I'm Jewish, you know, and this person is, I was born and raised Catholic. I went to Catholic schools. Uh, my boys were baptized. And I don't know when the last time I attended mass. I can't even remember the last time. Right. And, you know, and but they still call themselves Catholics and they still call themselves Jewish. And um, but Mormonism is one of those fundamental religions where you don't get to call yourself, you know, a Mormon. I that that's the goal. That's the new, the new progressive nuance. They want right. to say, no, 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 I'm still a Mormon but I drink and I smoke and, you know, and I don't wear garments and I don't do this. Grassroots it's movements only work if they move up to the authority at the top and change that person. Exactly. Right. Yes. And, and, and I'm no matter how grassroots Mormons want to be, yeah. um, it's not going to change the actual structure of the church, especially considering it is by design, a external locus of control. If you are not 
following the way and very specific ways and how you're supposed to show up, what's supposed to happen. I mean, those temple recommend interviews are very specific about what you can and cannot do. Do yeah. you, and I don't know if they've changed, but they used to say, do you associate with individuals yeah. who have different beliefs? Right. And if you said right. yes, yeah. Like, mm, can't go to the temple, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And we're just going to rip this up right here. And you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, wait, what? Right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because like the big thing is like the spirit and that's how you know it's yeah. true. And and it just drives me crazy because the, the, the thing is our brains want to be safe. Everything about our existence is safety. And so if we are taught that feelings of safety because we belong in a group, because it's what it's how our brain's been wired to believe these things for safety, um, that that must translate to what you feel safe about and do has objection or unobjectionable, right? Can't be questioned truth behind it. Right. right. So when people say, I know I feel good when I'm at church, I right. say, I'm sure you do. Yeah. I absolutely am sure you do. And if it doesn't cause you any harm, um, mm. great. Stay in that yeah. space. Yeah. Even though you notice, oh, it's causing my child harm who who has come out as as queer. Yeah. What do you do with that? Do right. you hold space for your child? And then do you say, how can I be an advocate for them if they actively know that some of the things that are taught in this space go against who they are? Right. right. A lot of people really struggle with that as well, where they're like, how can I reconcile feeling amazing in these spaces? And um, and they and they worry about losing the spirit. Right. They worry about losing the ability to feel safe. Yeah. And so a lot of the a, a, and so in both of my groups, it's like, how can we help you return to a feeling of safety in the lifestyle and the choices and who you are now that is, it doesn't need to be, I was at point A and now I'm at point D and you don't yeah. need to explain how you went from A, B, C, D. You just say, I was at A and now I'm D. Yeah. And I know it. And that's all that matters, right? Bearing testimonies drives me crazy because it's so insidious in like, People saying, this is how I know the church is true. And then they, yeah. they lay out their, their travel dialogue or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. you're sitting there and you're supposed to be like going, okay, I want to feel the way they do. So I'm going to do the things that they do. Yes. And if I do the things that they do, that yeah. will be part of my journey. And then I will be more secure in that space. Instead of saying, I'm really glad that made them feel safe. Yeah, I absolutely don't think that would make me feel safe. And that's yeah. OK. Right? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. This, this has just been so fascinating. Tell everyone again, just maybe name off your specialty groups and then how they can get a hold of you. Yes. And if they're interested in joining or they'd like some more information. Great. what's the way? Yeah. So uh, my website is gingerzentherapy.com. If you go there, whether you want to join the group or do individual stuff, there is a right on the front page, there's there's a new appointment request button. And then there's also a button for the leaving the LDS church groups. Um, click on that. It will take you, depending if you want to do individual therapy, it will actually take you to my calendar and you get to choose. And I'm accepting clients right now. I take some insurances. It's all on there. Um, you get to choose the day and time that I have available 
plug yourself in there and we'll meet. I do telehealth or in person. With the groups, the um, they will be starting again in January. Um, they are not unfortunately covered by insurances, um, but they will be five, um, they're cycles and they're five sessions, two hours each. Mondays are the one are the group for the people that are just barely out of the church. And then Tuesdays is the group for curiosity about living in Utah and whatnot. They meet in person six to eight on those days, starting in January at my office, which is located in South Jordan. They have some nice big conference rooms that I can use um, that we'll be doing there. That it's a psychoeducation course. Um, and uh, go on there, sign yourself up to get emails. And then as soon as I get more information about when exactly it's going to start, you'll get an email and you'll be able to sign up that way. You can pay in, it in full at front or I will do payment plans because I don't care <laughs> one way or the other. Um, and then, yeah, going back to my specialties. So um, obviously religious trauma. Um, and then I do a lot of work with dissociative identity disorder, um, which is and just wanting to throw that out there for those of you that suspect you have it or have maybe worked with therapists in the past that didn't know what they were doing. Um, I am a firm believer that system integration is not the goal. So if someone has been trying to tell you, you've got to get everyone integrated, run. Um, and then um, I do adult ADHD. Um, we do a lot of um, therapy and kind of like hey, load the dishwasher three times. It doesn't really matter. You know, a lot of just being kind to yourself in that space and figuring out how you function differently. I also have ADHD. So this is a personal like thing yeah. for myself as well. It's a gift. Yeah, yeah, it's a gift. It really does have superpowers. So, I, you know, it's fine. Um, OCD, um, I do exposure response therapy with that. And oh, and I actually wanted to mention this. Um, if you have OCD scrupulosity, which um, mm. is connected with like religious spaces um, and especially LDS, you were raised LDS, you have OCD scrupulosity. I am highly aware that there is an extra component to treatment of that because of the way that the church uses magical thinking as fact. Uh -huh. And so there is a, and I've seen quite a few clients with scrupulosity OCD that we struggle, that they struggle with the magical thinking of, of confirming because OCD wants to know hundred percent truth or hundred percent not true. And uh -huh. when the church is saying this is true yeah. and they're trying to leave OCD really grabs onto that. So, so uh -huh. just saying OCD, but also I understand the nuance between OCD and the LDS church. Um, and then queer affirming, um, I have, um, quite a few clients that are queer, transgender, especially I can write letters for surgery. Um, if that's something you're interested in a lot of religious crossover and trauma from the queer community in this space as well. Um, and let's see, what else am I forgetting? Um, you know, generalized anxiety, social anxiety, um, a lot of that I do do depression, but I, it's, um, it's it's every therapist does depression. So I'm like, if you just want a, a, a therapist help you with depression, um, you know, you can come to me if you want. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I try to be very specific about what I offer and niche because there are so many things that people struggle with find to find. So I try right. to fill up my schedule with people that really are like specifically looking for those types of interventions. And then well, PTSD. Because depression is such a, a, a large category 
Like yep. All of the other specialties that you mentioned could be leading to depression. Well, so, and mo a lot of people have comorbidity of depression and this other thing. So it's like yeah. we'll work on both at right. the same time, right. um, kind of a space. And then um, there's another page that could be interesting for people to look at. Um, it's my interventions. And so if you're curious about the type of therapy I do, that I use internal family systems, mindfulness, narrative therapy, gestalt, and it explains the different types of therapies that I'm that I'm trained in. And so if you're also looking for someone that knows a specific intervention, um, there's information on the website about that as well. And then finally, on my website, if you're interested, um, I do like um, was mentioned at the beginning, couples counseling for non-monogamous couples. Um, mm. Uh, ethical non-monogamy. And so if you are um, in an open relationship or polyamorous or, or whatever, and you're struggling in that relationship or relationships, that's something that I um, specifically have, have been trained in and with. Um, and um, so, and if you're interested, there's a, there's a tab on there. If you want to read some research that I've done on ethical non-monogamy that's been published in a scientific journal, um, just kind of just get a little bit more understanding of, of, my expertise in that field. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's just wonderful. And I, when I get back to Utah, I'm gonna be coming to a couple of your meetings because I think it's fascinating. And what I love about what you do is unless you have been given some tools to find out who you are, yep. even leaving the church as an ex-Mormon, now this is my non-professional opinion, but <laughs> even if you leave the church and a start attending some communities of ex-Mormons, unless you have the, some basic tools in your in your your toolbox to learn who you are, you could get caught up in an ex-Mormon cult yes. type thing yep. that will also tell you who you are. So it's so important that you have some some tools that you can learn before you get involved. Like you say, sometimes we jump from one fire into the next mm -hmm. without realizing that we just still needed that authority figure to tell us who we were. Oh, yes. you, I'm a Mormon. Okay, great. Oh, wait, I'm an ex-Mormon. Okay. Tell me what to do. Right. And like how do I show up in that space correctly? And say, yeah. So, I don't care if you show up in ex-Mormon spaces. What I really want you guys to know is feel confident that you can say yes or no. Exactly. to what's happening in that space and say, this is for me. This is not for me. Some yeah. of it's for me, not yeah. all of it's for me. I right. get to just be, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Annalise. Yeah. I love that you've given me a little bit of your crazy, crazy, crazy schedule. I know you're super busy, so I appreciate <laughs> that so much. Yeah. And, and I hope all of you were, and I will put all of her links in the show notes so that they can find you. Yeah. And uh, this has just been wonderful. So Go about the rest of your day. And 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 I know Wednesdays is, is your day off and I took some of it. So I appreciate that. Now go and relax. And I will. I will. I will go release all of the go. energy and just enjoy sitting by my fireplace outside. So very good. What What's the weather like where you're at? You're in I mean, it's a little chilly, but it's yeah. not raining or snowing yet. So yeah. still have a beautiful blue sky, even though it's still a have a yep, blue skies out the window. I like sitting by my fireplace when it's a little nippy outside and I just bundle up and enjoy a beverage and just very relax. Good. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Oh my gosh. Is she not amazing? I just love that, that there are so many talented people out there. And, you know, my motto is do what you do best and hire the rest. And most of us do not have time to be a professional in every area of our lives. And if you are looking for someone to help you 
find out who you are to help you learn this new role that you've taken upon yourself as either an ex-Mormon or an ex-fundamental religion of any kind. I hope that you will turn to Annalise. And again, I will put her information in uh, show notes so that you can find her. And I encourage you to maybe, you know, Put, a, put your information in her contacts and go and talk with her and see if there's something that you that she can help you with. And, and uh, so I appreciate her spending and giving us some information and, and some of her time today. So go and enjoy your um, November 1st. November is a crazy month. I have lots of birthdays in November. And of course, we celebrate Thanksgiving here in Arizona. We bring all of our family to Arizona and it's something that we look forward to every year. So I do love November, I will say. So thanks for joining me on She Became Visible. Remember that you can donate to shebecamevisible.org. It really helps the um, Mormon Discussions Corporation and everything that they do and all of the people that they sponsor. And also... I know it sounds crazy, but like, share, and subscribe. It's not just for me, it's for the algorithm. So if people are looking for what we have to offer, it makes it easier for them to find us. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, I would really appreciate it. So go and have a great day. And thank you for joining me today. Go and become visible. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me today on She Became Visible. Join me each week as my guests and I explore the path of womanhood and tell all our stories. We'll talk about finding the courage to be ourselves and motivate each other to be everything that we're capable of and meant to be, no matter what happens around us. Please like, share, and subscribe, and don't forget to donate at shebecamevisible.org.